Open your Bibles to the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Beyond the sacred page, we want to see the Lord. Amen. Beyond the sacred page, we want to see the Lord's church. I hope, even though I fear that last week there was a distraction with our covenant signing, I hope that you remember the great things that we considered last week about our church. That our church could be compared to Solomon's temple in a weak way because it's superior. It is superior to the dedicated Tory prayer that Solomon uttered before that temple and all the sacrifices that he offered up. For the rest of that congregation couldn't participate except to watch. And Solomon himself was just a mere king. We have the temple of the living God today, and every woman in this assembly, and every child in this assembly, who is an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ, and every man in this assembly, is a king and a priest, able to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That is incredible. And if you don't feel incredulous with it, the problem's with you. And the problem's with me if I don't, but brethren, I do. And I wanted to give you that last Lord's Day, and I'm still excited about it. The church of Jesus Christ is much more than just some little social gathering for religious purposes. It's the body of Jesus Christ. Did you hear those verses in Ephesians chapter 1, where it is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth and fills heaven and earth. And yet without his church, he's incomplete. It's the fullness of him. That ought to bless our hearts. Our church is the living, an organism, the living temple and house of the living God. And the place where the glorified Son of Man resorts with his people. And he's here this morning, and I represent him, and I love him, and I want to present him to you, and I want you to love the place where he meets with his people. And he's here this day. What is the purpose of the church? Last Lord's Day, I showed you the glory of the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. What is the purpose for that church? Its purpose is that it is the habitation of God. It is where God dwells with his people. You say, but our meetings are so simple. Our meetings are so obscure. In this hotel room, I tell you by the authority of the Word of God, as much as He created everything out of nothing in six days, that this is the habitation of God through the Spirit. Because that's what the Bible tells me. And I believe every word of it. The church also has a purpose of the glory of God. This is where we worship Him. This is where we have received a kingdom whereby we are to worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Even the New Testament kingdom. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 tells us that. So that's a purpose of the church. It's God's habitation. It's the place where we worship God and show Him glory. And it's a defense of the truth. Because 1 Timothy 3, 15 tells us it is the pillar and ground of the truth. But that's not what I want this morning. I want the another purpose for the church. And that is your perfection 
and my perfection. This is why we have a church. In addition to those three reasons I've already mentioned, our mutual perfection. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, describe Jesus Christ after his resurrection. He spent 40 days with his disciples and then rose up to heaven. And seated at the right hand of God, he gave forth gifts to the church. And we have those gifts, gifts mentioned in verse 11. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. There are the four chief gifts in the New Testament church. The first three have passed away. They passed away by 70 AD, for they were extraordinary gifts. An evangelist is not like men claim to be evangelists today. An evangelist in the New Testament was a man who could travel anywhere and speak in any language at any time without any preparation. And he didn't have to travel by bus. You find Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, and when he was done, what does it say? He was found at a city called Azotus. He, He finished baptizing Philip, Philip finished baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch and immediately was in another city just continuing on in preaching. He didn't even have to travel the way we travel. Those gifts have gone, but we have pastors and teachers today, which is one office. Why do we have these gifts? And follow with me. This is the precious word of God. Why do we have a church? Why did Jesus Christ give gifts? For, verse 12, the perfecting of the saints. And I'm not afraid of the Word. And I don't want you to be afraid of the Word. And I want the Word to be your goal. Your perfection. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is a mouthful, and it's a wonderful mouthful. Do you, you want to be measured? You know, every six months we measure all the children in my family so we can keep a, a little database on their heights and weights and to see their growth. But forget that. I don't care if you're short or tall, fat or skinny. There is a measure by which we ought to measure ourselves, and it's the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's That's what we want to be. That is our goal. And that goal is called a perfect man there in that 13th verse. And he goes on to say in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children. We've got to grow up. That's That's perfection, maturity. We need to grow up, toss to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We want to grow up into our head, Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That is the purpose for the New Testament church. Perfection. We are to come together to help each other realize the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, we want to be like Jesus Christ, and that's why we come together, and that's what I want to teach you this morning from the Word of God. This perfection of verses 12 and 13 is our goal. 
That's why we come together. And if we'll all do what the Lord is asking us to do in His church, and if the Lord will send us His Holy Spirit, which He will, we can achieve this goal. And I don't want to achieve it in the year 2010. I'd like to achieve it by next Sunday or this evening. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Don't you want to grow up? You know, when you're a child, all you can think about is growing up. I can't wait to be older. When you're 9, you can't wait to be double digits and be 10. When you're 12, you can't wait to be a teenager. When you're 15, you can't wait to be 16 so you can drive. When you're 17, you can't wait to be 18 so you can vote. When you're 19, you can't wait till you're 20. Then about that time, it changes. And we don't want to grow up anymore that way. But we want to grow up in the Lord. And this is the purpose of why we come together. Look at the apostle, what he said in Colossians 1.28, speaking of Jesus Christ, whom we preach, warning every man, so it includes that, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Someone asked me last Sunday, when are you going to preach about the future of the Greenville Church? When are you going to preach our goal? What's going to happen to us? This is it right here. Every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Not a few strong ones perfect in Christ Jesus. Every man, which includes every woman, which includes every child that's an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ, perfect in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's goal. I don't want any different goal. This is the state of the union address. We want to achieve perfection. This is our goal. Look at chapter 4. Same book, Colossians chapter 4. Paul had some other men who were like-minded with him, and I want to be like-minded with the greatest apostle. Colossians 4.12 says, Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Look at this man's soul. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. If I knew you understood enough, I'd quit right now. That is what we, that is what we want. But I want to show you how we're going to get there. We're going to get there by God, the Holy Spirit, blessing us to be a living New Testament church the way we should be. That's the goal right there. And here's a man that labored fervently for you in prayers. And I want to tell you, I've not only committed by covenant to do so, but I have done so and shall do so to labor fervently for you in prayers that you and I might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Amen. Anything less than that is not good enough. Right. If it's only part of the will of God, if it's imperfect, if it's incomplete, it's not good enough. Do you want that? Right. The Lord knows this whole sermon is entirely His. Listen, I may get into a monotone, I may be too loud, I may, you may not like the way I look, sound, or otherwise, but I'm praying for God the Holy Spirit to let you know the message today is from Him and what we can accomplish with His blessing. And that is this verse right here and, and the other ones I've already shown you. It's what we need to see. This is the goal of a New Testament church, perfection, and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
And those words aren't thrown in there because he needed to make his sentence longer. That's what you people do when you write term papers in school. That's what I did when I wrote term papers in school. But God never wrote a sentence that way. Every word is important. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is that achievable? Amen. Wait a minute, though. We're talking about Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. The fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Paul wasn't going to accept anything less. Because that's what he wanted to present to God in heaven. The saints that he had labored for, that's the condition he wanted them to be in. So that Jesus Christ has brothers that look like his brothers. Act like his brothers, talk like his brothers, think like his brothers, are the same size, shape, and measure that he is. And we can achieve that by God's grace. Yes, he's the son of God. And yes, he will be our older brother and reign over all things to the glory of God. But we can be like, this is so glorious. If you're not in the, fl- if you're not in the spirit this morning, you can't appreciate what I'm telling you. We can be like him. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 14. What is our goal? I showed you the purpose. We, we are a temple for God. We give glory to God by worshiping Him here. We're a defense of the truth. But the purpose I want to look at this morning, which is so important for us, is the perfection of the saints. So I want to show you a few of your verses, what our goals are in approaching, in seeking that perfection. In Romans 14, I read in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations about little things like eating meat offered to idols or not that the first part of this chapter deals with. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is what we want. We want the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in Greenville, South Carolina. And we want it this way. We don't want it in name only, but we want it in power which is the Holy Ghost presence, righteousness, peace, and joy. Verse 18, For he that in these things, what things? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Those are the things we want to seek. Peace among ourselves, which we're going to celebrate today. The unity of hearts that we have here. And to seek those things that edify or to build up. The word edify is not difficult. We sometimes, you may not use it anymore, but sometimes in your reading you may encounter a building being called an edifice. It's called an edifice because in the same way that a building is built, An edifice is edified. You edify something when you build it up into a building. An edifice is edified in it's raised up into its completed condition. So when we edify someone, we're building them up. And we're building them up to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. We want to walk in the Spirit rather than the flesh. And not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 and Romans 8 tells us that. We want to grow in favor with God and men. Do you want to be a man after God's own heart? Yeah. Sort of. Maybe, if it comes along. All the way. All the way. 
Do you want that, to be a man after God's own heart? My prayer this week, and I I say this to provoke you to emulation. I want to be his favorite on earth. There's six billion people on this earth. I want to be his favorite. I want to be the favorite of God because he knows my heart loves him more than anyone else. I'm provoking my brother that wants to outdo me in fatness. And I'm provoking all the rest of you also. What is, is that your goal? That should be our goal as a church because it's right here. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. You can do both. That's right. That's our goal. I haven't told you how to get there yet. It's our goal. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Here's another goal. To not fall away from our faith. Hebrews chapter 3. Do all men who profess Christ persevere faithfully and steadfastly unto the end? No. Do the majority? Sorry, no. The faithful are few. Jesus Christ preached the gospel to so many during his life. So many. He healed their sick. He raised their dead. He fed them. And yet when we find him, when we find his disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem, how many were there? About 120. Isn't that pitiful? He preached to crowds that numbered above 20,000. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin can deceive us and harden our hearts. Do you know that? Do you know it by experience? I know it by experience. I never want a hard heart again. I want a fat heart. I want a fat heart that's just full of grease. The oil and presence of God and a love for Him. And anything less than that is not acceptable. We want a church without any dead wood cluttering the ground. Luke chapter 13, which was preached to us a couple of months ago, where the Lord of the vineyard came into his yard and saw that tree, the fig tree that had no fruit on it and hadn't had fruit for a good while. And he said, cut this tree down and get it out of my yard. It's messing the yard up. And the servant said, Lord, give me one more year. Give me one more year to dig around it, to dung it, fertilize it. And then come back in a year and see if we can't get some fruit out of it. And then if we don't have fruit, we'll cut it down and get it out of the yard. You know, that's a warning to all of us. We need to be fruit-bearing. That's our goal. See, I'm under goals right now. We want to be fruit-bearing. We don't want any dead wood in our congregation. Because dead wood's going to hinder the work of the Spirit of God. If every one of us is on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and loving Him and seeking Him daily and living for Him and praying for the Holy Ghost, we will have a Holy Ghost operation in this church that we haven't had before. But no dead wood. And see, we're going to get to the fact that we're all responsible for each other so that there isn't any. And you know our numbers right now. If all of you are interested and committed to keeping me from being dead wood, then praise the Lord, I've got some help. Amen. And for you, the same. 
if we're all striving together for this goal. Oh, there's more. I could turn you to Titus chapter 2 and talk about the grace of God that's appeared to all men, what it teaches us. That denying ourselves and living soberly and righteously in this present world, we're looking for that blessed hope and appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. What's the future of this church? Living soberly and righteously in this present world and doing it with a blessed hope in mind of Jesus Christ's return. That's, That's our goal. There's false goals that have been foisted, put over, on the Lord's people. Let me give you a few, and think about this. What is the goal of a church? Think about it. If you were to ask people out on the street, what is the purpose or the goal of a church, what would they say? Some would say, the church is a building temple for me to go worship God by myself. A Catholic church is very much that way. Its doors are always open so that you can go into this very attractive building, sit down there in the front row or or toward the front, get down on your knees before some little icon or statue, and supposedly worship the Lord. And brethren, because that has been such a widespread idea of what the church is, guess what? We get affected, infected by it and affected by it. A church is not a building where you go to worship God in the beauty of stained glass. We worship God in the beauty of holiness, not in the beauty of stained glass or in the beauty of bricks and mortar or in the beauty of anything except His holiness. That's an error. Another error is that a church is a social club with religious overtones for political works and networking. There's a lot of people this morning that have gone to the big popular churches in this city for the purposes of networking. That is rubbing elbows, talking with, exchanging business cards with other important people that are there to further their lives, careers, politics, whatever, and social standing. There are a number of churches. Some of you have been to those churches. That's something that's put over on people. A church is sometimes believed to be a stage for the weekly performance of some pastor actor. All you have to do is when you meet someone, they start yakking and yapping about their pastor. Church isn't about the pastor. Church is about the Lord Jesus Christ that's the head of the church. Why would you stoop all the way to the bottom and talk about the servant? Unless you've got the servant in the wrong place, and he's the head, and the Lord's underneath him. But some people have turned the church into a rah-rah show where everyone goes to see this charismatic, on fire, by charismatic I mean personality with charisma, enthusiastic, dynamo, that gets them revved up every week. That isn't the church. Right. You know, Paul made very caref- took very careful efforts to make sure he wasn't that way. Read about how Paul would preach and talk so that their faith would not stand anything like that but in the power of God. Yeah, that's right. But there are people that think a church is that. There are others that think a church is a business organization for the Great Commission. The reason we go to church and the theme of everything is more missionaries, 
Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they make that the business of the church. The apostles had that as their business. But that isn't the business of a New Testament church right now. Our business is what I've already described. And that's our perfection as saints. And others, very close to home, very close to home, think that a church is a seminary class for weekly lectures and increasing in knowledge, period. And so we would, uh, you heard me, and so we would attend and sit and hear a lecture and then float out the door, hardly knowing anyone that was in the room with us, and of course not having any contact with them during the week. Because the church's goal and the church's purpose was simply to increase in knowledge. And that is not the only purpose of the church. Now there's five false ones. That it's a building temple for public and private worship, a social club for networking, a stage for a performer, a business organization for the Great Commission, or a seminary class for just learning. We want more than that. And I've already told you what the goal is. Perfection before the Lord. Sorry for looking. Is there any motive... Is there any motive that the Lord has given us that should cause our hearts to increase in their beating at the thought of those goals? Just quickly, it should motivate us to know that our church is the temple and the house of the living God. So these assemblies and whatever the Lord wants us to accomplish in our relationship with the other members should be important to us because it's His temple and His house. And we know that doesn't mean these four walls. I hope that was clear last Sunday. The church is God's prepared staging area for us before His return. Does that motivate you at all? The church is the staging area where you get ready and you get dressed to meet the Lord Jesus Christ who's coming back. And He didn't tell us when He's coming for a reason. So that you'll get prepared this week, and next week, and tomorrow, and next Monday. Because every day should be an effort to be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. Is that a motive? This is a staging ground. Paul knew it was a staging ground. You read his epistles and he'll talk on a regular basis about how that if all the saints at that particular church were fully developed in Jesus Christ, then he would have a cause to rejoice in the day of Jesus Christ coming back. And anything less than that, Paul was not content with. He writes to the Thessalonians, who were known as a church for love, and he said, yet I pray that you'll increase there more and more. He's never content. You say, but I thought Paul learned to be content. Yes, he did in whatever state he was in, but he was never content with the righteousness of saints because he wanted to grow yet more and more. Amen. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. What I want to do just quickly here is to look at a few motives that ought to excite us to realize God's goal for us. Our goal is perfection and all the other terms that we looked at. Growing up to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. But what should quicken your hearts to and, and raise your affections to want that, to crave that, to seek that? We're His temple. It's a staging area before the Lord's return. And what did a church in the New Testament look like? And I don't mean Corinth. Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 41. 
just listen to this description of a New Testament church. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That is what we want to have. Now, some of those things may, may need to be explained to a church, but that's not important right now. I just hope you can see in this what the Holy Spirit does when He falls on a group of people and they're baptized. Do you realize these are 3,000 that were added to 120? 120 experienced disciples of Jesus Christ. 3,000 that knew very little, but from the inside out, they had a love and a unity and a fellowship and a craving to worship Jesus Christ with other believers. By the Holy Spirit. They didn't even have to be taught it. Because it flowed out of that spirit within them because the Lord poured His Spirit upon that church. When you look around this assembly and you think, our our perfection is the goal of this church. And you look around the assembly and you say, oh, that person's... That person's really imperfect. They're going to need a lot of work. That is such a wicked perspective. Amen. You ought to be looking at the beam that's cluttering your own vision. Amen. But you know what I want to tell you this morning? Every member in this body is here by the wise, the infinitely wise choice of the Holy God. Amen. So, when we meet a member in this assembly that rubs the fur the wrong way, as, as an expression goes, God sent them to us. Do you know why? Because your furs rub too easily the wrong way. He, he wants to teach you some, some patience. He wants to teach you some love. Now, to love someone that loves you in return, that doesn't take any work at all. It doesn't even take a work of the Holy Ghost. Your flesh will do it just fine. But I want to tell you to go love someone that's unlovely and hasn't ever shown you much affection, that takes a work of the Holy Spirit. Because I can't even force you to do it. And you can't even force you to do it. And I can't even force me to do it. Because I don't like you. That's what the flesh says. But the Spirit says, the Lord sent them to me. I love them. What can I do for them? You say, I haven't felt that way in a long time. The, the Lord will take care of that. Amen. I can't take care of it, but the Lord can take care of that. Right. And we've got to make that choice. And see, here's motives. The Lord put everyone in this church, every single one. You say, no, they just happened in here one day. It was just a coincidence. There are no coincidences. Right. I thought that's one of the foundation pillars of our church. It's all by the providence and the predestinating grace of God. Right. Every 
1 Corinthians 12, 18 tells me God hath set in the church them that pleased Him. Amen. Everyone is in this body because it pleases God. And if it doesn't please you, you've got the problem. Right. And you've got it with God, not with them. Right. How about one more motive, and we'll jump on to how we need to go about this. Did you know that in Matthew chapter 25, when the Lord Jesus Christ assembles all before him and divides the sheep from the goats and he puts the sheep on his right hand, what he's going to take recognition of? What you did in kindness toward one of your brethren. That's right. Even though it was very small and insignificant, he's going to take recognition of it and bring it up again before the universe. That's a high motive. May the Lord bless us to do that. Amen. Now let's look at some of the methods that God has ordained for this church. The purpose of this church is the perfection of the saints. Our goal is to be perfect and to grow up to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean sort of like the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean weakly like the Lord Jesus Christ or incompletely, but just like Him in, in knowing and understanding and doing the complete will of God. Amen. You'll do that all in heaven. Every one of us will do that in heaven. But we're not in heaven yet. We're down here where we've got a flesh and a world and the devil, all three of which want to have a, have a conspiracy. I believe in a great conspiracy, and that's it right there. Amen. And any other conspiracy Amen. isn't worth the time to even think about it. Because I can't, it, it's so hard to fight this conspiracy. The world, the flesh, and Satan. But by the power of the Holy Ghost, we can win this conflict and Amen. be perfect like the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. When you think about the devil and all that he's doing in the world and all the things that are going wrong and what the world's great efforts are doing to all the efforts the world is making to destroy Christianity, just remember this. Be of good cheer. Amen. I have overcome the world. Amen. The world cannot defeat us. Be of good cheer. Do you know who said that? The glorified Son of Man that's in this assembly right now. And I hope you love him for that. I hope you know that you're behind a champion the likes of which the world has never seen. Amen. The devils themselves tremble at the sweet chant, May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Oh, that's exciting. But Satan wants your soul. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Please don't get tired. Don't get bored. Don't get restless. Don't get impatient. Be thankful that you have the Word of God being opened to you. And that you're in the Lord's house Amen. where He is present and we're learning the truth about why we ought to have a church. Right. It's not those five reasons. We, we've got it. The Lord's shown us. That's exciting. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I just want to show you from the Old Testament that the wise man knew that there's benefits in society coming together. Amen. For all you loners, you're wrong. That's why you're not Solomon. If you think you can do just as well on your own, all you're doing is making a statement about your lack of intelligence. Because the wise man said this, by the Holy Ghost. And it's a, they're beautiful verses. And listen, I'm as much of a loner as anyone. And I say that about myself. I'm not saying it to put anyone down. But uh, I'm a, I'd be just happy by myself. But it's not the way what the Lord has called us to. Amen. And so it's to be hated. Because if the Lord doesn't want it, then it's to be hated. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9. Two are better than one. 
Those of you that are happily married, do you agree? I will not ask the other category. Because they have a good reward for their labor. It is a blessing to share things with a companion. Verse 10. Here's a second reason why it's better for two or better than one. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Two are better than one, because if you fall, either physically or spiritually, or emotionally, or financially, you have someone to help you up. Two are better than one. Verse 11, again, here's a third reason. If two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? There is, I don't want to get into the chemical illustration that I used to use, but there is a blessing in people coming together because the heat is greater than the sum of the mere parts. Forget If you're in a very cold room and you're in bed, you're making a certain amount of heat, but you can't stay warm. And there's another person in another room, in another in a cold room, in a bed by themselves, making a certain amount of heat, and they can't stay warm. But guess what? If you get them in the same bed, all of a sudden they're throwing a blanket down because they're too hot. What is that? You say, what, where do you come up with these illustrations? Right here, right here. Right. Verse 11. There is a blessing in people coming together. So the, the heat didn't change. Did their bodies produce more heat? No. No. But each body benefits from the heat being produced by the other, so there's less waste. And it works that way with, in society. That's why Solomon said, two are better than one. We've got to move on. And verse 12, and if one prevail against him, that is him that's alone, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The fourth reason that we come together in society is for protection against enemies. If you're by yourself and someone attacks you, you feel alone because you are alone. And you're scared, and you're at risk. And you're not much of an opponent for them. So the enemy can discourage you, can destroy you. But if there's two, ah, that's better. Remember in the the playground in grade school when you had a bigger friend that would come to your aid if you needed him? Those were great days. I remember them well. And a threefold cord, if you could get three to come together, is not quickly broken. Now what does that say about this assembly? When we come together in unity and understanding our purpose before the Lord, we can accomplish great things and have great blessings, even from Solomon's carnal illustration. So, we're looking at the methods for our perfection. Did you notice when a man falls, you have someone to help you up? When one of us falls spiritually, there's... At the present moment, and it's not going to last long by the grace of God, there's 39 others that should be helping us up if we are functioning as a church should. Amen. Come over to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, back to Ephesians chapter 4. A sermon is not a performance for you to think, well, that was a good one. The point is, what did you learn? Preaching is just teaching. Preaching is public teaching. It's not a, an art form. I, I, I hate the thought. See, that's another thing that's been foisted on us, and that is to go into an assembly and say, that was a great sermon.
But when you walk away and you were given a piece of paper and a pencil, you wouldn't be able to put down what you learned. Preaching is public teaching, and I'm trying to teach you right now why we have a church. It's for our perfection. Here's how we do it. We come together in society, as Ecclesiastes 4 described. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, I've already read down through verse 15, but there isn't a period at the end of verse 15. And what I pointed out is, the ministry was given for the perfection of the saints in those first few verses. But look at how he ends his sentence with the 16th verse. From whom, that is Jesus Christ in the, at the end of verse 15, from whom the whole body, all members, fitly joined together, because the Lord joined us together, right. and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, Amen. according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You say, that's a mouthful. I can't follow it. It was too long of a sentence. I agree. We need to quit reading today's publications. They're not written like this anymore, are they? <laughs> if you go over ten words, it's you have bad style. Uh, here we are in the 16th verse. But the description is the whole body, every single member, is fitly joined together by the Lord, by his choice of you in this assembly, and by your choice to make yourself fit well with everyone else. And then it's compacted by that which every joint supplies, because the Lord's given us a hand where we need a hand in the assembly. He's given us a foot where we need a foot. He's given us an eye where we need an eye, and if the eye, hand, and foot are doing their respective functions, it compacts the body together into what a physical body is. Now, if you cut this thing off, my hand, and lay it on a table, it doesn't do much. It wouldn't do you or me much good, except stink very quickly. But attached and working with my head, but attached... And working with my head, and appreciated by the rest of the members of my body, coordinated by my head, I can accomplish great things. Where if you were to dismember me and lay me on a table, I would simply stink. Every member, appreciating every other member, compacted together and choosing to work with all the other members, flowing from the direction and control of the head, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, can build up itself in love and build itself up into a church that is glorious. And where all of us can realize the benefits of this society that the Lord intended. According to the effectual working. What is effectual working? That is that you are making a diligent effort, but you make your diligent effort after walking in the Spirit and asking the Spirit to bless your diligent effort. That makes it effectual. If you're diligently working to make this church what it should be, and the Holy Spirit is blessing those diligent efforts, that is effectual working. Amen. In the measure of every part. Some parts have a bigger measure. Some parts have a smaller measure. But if every part is producing and providing their measure, a church can be and should be the chief joy of your life. That's right. Amen. I'm not a cheerleader, but I feel like one. 
church can be glorious. Amen. We get so distracted with those five illusions of what a church is for when it's for our perfection. And the minute we start thinking, this church is behind me, I can get to, the, I can get to perfection faster by myself, you are not wise. Right. This is the Lord's design, and if we submit to it, it will work. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I will not hurt your backsides this morning if you will pay attention till I end. We're trusting each other. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, you know, verse 25, I hope you do, is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And some like to use Hebrews 10.25 like a Pharisee hammer. But you know what? If we're all walking in the Spirit, and we all understand this goal that we're after, and we understand the Lord's method, you know what? A pastor won't have to preach on forsaking the assembly, because you'll crave being here. You'll want to be here. You'll need to be here. You'll think all week about getting here. You'll take your vacation sometimes and cut them short to get back here. Because you know that's what you need to be perfect. That's if you want to be perfect. It all comes back to the Holy Spirit being in us and giving us the goals that we want. Because that is the goal that you should want. Listen to these verses. Hebrews 10 Here's why we come together in assemblies, beginning at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Are you capable of wavering? You might be wrong. Have you ever thought that it might not be worth it? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, in parentheses, just to give us a little comfort, for he is faithful that promised. Verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And how do we do that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now, the day they were worried about was the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Because this is written by Paul to the Hebrews, warning them, don't leave your profession of Jesus Christ to go back under the law. Because those that are under the law and and holding out for Jerusalem's sake, they're going to be destroyed. However, we have another day approaching that's far more severe than their day. And that's the coming of Jesus Christ. And brethren, what do we have left in a prophetic timetable for that to happen? You say, well, that little season's got to get a little worse. I tend to agree, but I believe we're in the little sa- we're in the little space of time where Satan has been released from a bottomless pit and given a con- authority again over the nations. Because as you look in this earth, there is so little recognition of God. Right. We have a day approaching, and with a day approaching, we ought to be very concerned, and more so than others at not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting one another, that's in verse 25, considering one another in verse 24, provoking one another in verse 24, and holding fast out of the profession of our faith in verse 23. All that is why we get together in an assembly. Now, if you just float in at the last minute, warm a chair, and float out, 
And you don't call someone during the week. You don't talk to your brethren during the week. You don't send them emails. You don't pray for them. You don't provoke them. You don't help them. You don't comfort them. You don't rejoice with them. You're not fulfilling the purpose of a New Testament church. And so everyone suffers because of that. Therefore, we don't want any dead wood. We want everyone compacting by by the measure of their gifts to make this church all that it should be. And it can be great. There... Anything less than shaking heaven is not enough. I want this church to shake heaven. Listen, why do I say that? If one sinner that repents can get the angels of heaven to rejoice, I want to see what happens when there's one church that is seeking the Lord with their whole heart and their whole desire. You say you're a dreamer? I'm not a dreamer. I'm a believer. Amen. Amen. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter... Did, did you get that, why we assemble? Yep. i got to go on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We don't assemble just to keep some legalistic Old Testament type commandment that if you miss more than two a year, you're a bad person. That isn't the key to talk that way. The key is that if we're all in the Holy Ghost, we'll want to be there. And we need to be there to exhort, to consider, to provoke so that we're all moving toward perfection. And brethren, part of it is to be there to help the others, and part of it's there to get the help that we all need. How can you come in here if the other 39 are on fire for the Lord, and you're sitting there like a bump on the... Man, you are going to be so convicted and and so guilty before the Lord, because you're going to see their zeal and their enthusiasm for the Lord, and you're going to say, What's wrong with me? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Amen. And there's ways to handle that when your soul is cast down. He can restore your soul, brethren. He can restore your soul today. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, three great ministers, (coughs) exhorted the church of the Thessalonians. Now we exhort you, brethren, This is not a ministerial verse. This is a verse for every one of you. Warn them that are unruly. When one of our brothers or sisters is unruly, they ought to be warned. Comfort the feeble-minded. God will give us some that are feeble-minded. They don't have the same intellectual power that others have. So what? They have a blood-bought soul that Jesus Christ loved and died for and will have in heaven someday, and you won't be able to tell the difference there. It is pride that looks down on the feeble-minded. But the apostle says, comfort the feeble-minded. Do you notice he doesn't say, teach the feeble-minded. He doesn't say, rebuke the feeble-minded. He doesn't say, warn the feeble-minded. He says, comfort the feeble-minded. Because there are different types of members in the body of Christ, and they deserve different treatment. This is the word of the Lord. I know we've always thought that all you had to do was teach somebody, and they'd be better, right? Well, sometimes all they need is comfort. Isn't that nice? It's right here, in black and white print. We can't even be mistaken if we wanted to be. If we're reading it to find the truth. It says to support the weak. Sometimes there are weak brethren that need support. Notice what it says. It doesn't say teach the weak in this particular place. It says support the weak. Ye which are strong 
ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Ye which are spiritual should help bear, Galatians chapter 6, the problems of men who fall into faults. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Do we all need patience toward one another in order for this church to stay together? Yes, indeed. If you had to hesitate long on that, you're mistaken. And you're confused. Because we're all going to offend in little ways from time to time. But if we're patient toward one another, we can put up with that and patiently endure it and keep the unity of the body in the bond of peace. That is your duty. It's not a ministerial verse. This isn't 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus. This is your duty. You've committed to do this last Sunday, and I'm not going to hammer you with that repeatedly because I want to hammer you with the Word of God. That's good. That should be good enough. But we all committed before the Lord to fulfill our duties. I'm going to do my best to present you perfect in Jesus Christ. Will you do your best to help present everyone else perfect in Jesus Christ? Amen. How do we do that? When we see someone that is unruly, They are not ruling their spirit. They are not ruling their flesh. They are to be warned. When we see someone that is feeble-minded, we're to comfort them, and the Lord's going to send us some. When we see someone that's weak, we're to support the weak and help them bear some of their burdens and be patient toward all men. This is the method of how we achieve perfection in a New Testament church. We already looked at Hebrews 3 where it said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But what's the cure for that? Exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There's another verse. That is the method. That's what we're supposed to do to make this church all that it should be. And if, if right now as you listen to me, this sounds dry, boring, not interesting, and you're not really concerned about the goal, you are in the flesh. Amen. That's right. I don't have anything comforting to say to you, except He can restore your soul today. Amen. If you'll repent from being in the flesh and crave His Spirit and ask for His Spirit and confess your sins, He will forgive you, and you can be walking in the Spirit with God from your soul, giving you a desire for these things. Because if we try to warn, comfort, support, and be patient in the flesh, it'll all come to nothing. Because the Lord will not be blessing it. The effectual working of every part is the Holy Ghost accompanying our efforts. Otherwise, it's just... The working of the parts like any other organization in society, it's dead. Because without the Spirit, the body is dead. Right. Amen. Galatians 6. Let's look at it. I, I referred to it. Let's look at it. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you are welcome to sit in your homes and discuss such a one and put him in his proper place for his failure. doesn't say anything like that. It says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, instead of looking down at him as being something less than you are, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, right. considering thyself, 
lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if you're fulfilling the law of Christ, who are you starting to look like? Christ. Yes. It's simple. It's really simple. But this is hard to do. When we see someone fall into a fault, what do we want to do? Condemn, criticize, whisper about it. But instead, we should go and help them and recover them in a spirit of meekness, knowing that if the Holy Spirit withdrew His presence for about five seconds, you're capable of worse than what you're trying to help that brother out of. And if you don't believe that, why don't you go look at the life of a great man like Hezekiah. It says the Lord left him to show him what was in his heart. And what did Hezekiah do? He saw some passing ambassadors from Babylon. And he said, why don't you guys come in and see all the temples and see all the treasures in the Lord's house here in Jerusalem? Do you think they remembered that? Yeah, and they came and took them away not very long, not very much later. If the Lord leaves a man, you know, I've, I've seen the Lord leave David. The Lord left David once and let Satan have him. What did David do? Instantly. Numbered Israel. Did David take on a giant that was twice his size by himself once? Did David know that it didn't matter to the Lord how many men you have in your army? What Did Joab tell David not to do it? Was Joab a carnal man that still knew that he shouldn't do that? Did David still go ahead and do it? How many men lost their lives? 70,000. So, when... You see a brother overtaken in a fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, because you are capable of anything if the Lord withdraws his presence. If you think you are too good for some sin, you are heading toward that sin. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. If the Lord sees that kind of pride on your part, that you are really not a bad sinner, he will let you find out the hard way. But the method of having a church that helps us all get to perfection, if there's spiritual brethren that are willing to practice this, what a defense mechanism we have in our church. It's the Lord's way of doing things. How about Romans chapter 12? Romans 12, it says, verse 15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Now, we read over there in Ecclesiastes 4 that two are better than one because they have a reward for their labor. Well, now, how do you have a reward for your labor in the house of God? Because we are told, this is not carnal, this is spiritual. We are told that if something good happens to you, the rest of us should know about it. And if you're rejoicing, we ought to be rejoicing. Is that helpful? The Bible says two are better than one because you get to share rewards. So when something good happens and we have an opportunity for thanksgivings up here, it ought to bless us all. And we ought to be able to come up to that brother afterwards and say, that is great what you said tonight. I'm so thankful to the Lord for what happened to you. Amen. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. It also says when one falls, you have, one to, you have someone to help lift you up. What if you're weeping about something in your life? But if the rest of the congregation weeps with you, doesn't that make it easier? Yes, this is not carnal. This is spiritual when it's done spiritually. This is Romans twelve fifteen. That is how we're to share in each other's lives. We're to love one another. I can't, I can't even touch that subject in a minute 
We are to love one another. It's been preached. It's been preached many times. But if you're walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It will flow from your heart. And with the instruction that you've been given, you will know that you ought to be keeping 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 to all your brothers and sisters. Believing all things. Hoping all things. Thinking no evil. Being kind. Behaving yourself appropriately. And do you know what? It won't be a burden. When you try to enforce 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 in the flesh, it becomes a burden no man can bear. How in the world am I... Listen, do you know what the standard is of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7? That is perfection. That is the highest definition of love that the universe has ever seen. That's right. What are you going to do? Give me something by Mariah Carey? Nope. Celine Dion? Nope. Elton John? Nope. He can't even figure out who to take to bed with him. He's so perverted in his twisted mind. Don't give me anything like that. I'll tell you the perfect definition of love. And if a married couple or anybody was ever to practice 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, by the Holy Ghost, they'd have the Song of Solomon marriage. Amen. You say, can't you start out with the Song of Solomon? Uh Uh-uh. You start out with the Holy Spirit guiding you into 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. But when, if you look at it with understanding, it's a t- it is a tough standard. But guess what? If you're walking in the Spirit and you are craving the Spirit in your life in the presence of Jesus Christ, let me tell you about it. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Romans 12, you're there. Look at verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints. If we, have, if we ever have saints in here that are in a necessity... You shouldn't have to wonder long about it. You should distribute, which means take some of what you have and give to them. And distribution is not usually a word used for loans. Right. Especially if there was interest attached and you're doing something to make money off of your brother. I can show you a few places in the Old Testament what the Lord thinks about that. Amen. Now, if there's a business deal between a couple of brothers, that's an entirely different thing Amen. where no one's in necessity, but they're just doing something bigger than one of them could do by himself. Another matter. But look at this. But I want the second half of that verse also, verse 13, given to hospitality. Now, everyone gets excited when they find in the pastoral epistles that bishops are to be given to hospitality. But guess what? We're all to be given to hospitality. Amen. What was the church in Acts 2 like? How often did they get together? Daily. Wow. Breaking bread daily from house to house. Not at church. From house to house. Right. You know, we don't have to start with daily. How about once a week? You did something in your house with another brother to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, that sounds like a burden. If you're walking in the Spirit and you have them over to, to, to share the mutual love we have for Jesus Christ, it will not be a burden. Amen. It'll be a pleasure. And when they leave, you'll say, who can we have over tomorrow? Given to hospitality. Brethren, we've talked about some of these other things. Passing over transgressions. The glory of a man is to pass over a transgression. Amen. If someone offends you, pass over it. It's not worth worrying about. Can't we just keep going on toward perfection? Right. 
instead of fussing about it, if it's too big for you and you've got a small heart and it's not full of grace and glory, like the Lord Jesus Christ would want you to have, then there's a way to deal with it, and it's Matthew 18, to go and take another with, to go yourself first and deal with that little personal problem yourself with no one else in the whole world knowing about it. If you've gained your brother, great. If you don't gain your brother, then take with you one or two more that you can establish the words in the mouth of two or three witnesses and still try to gain your brother. But if you let that stuff harbor in your heart, it's like a cancer. It will eat this church up. There's a Bible way to do things. And let's do it that way. And I know you know this, and I know you've heard it before, but I'm talking about something today. I'm talking about this church being the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Son of Man being here, and our goal being perfection. Amen. Not our goal just keeping rules. Our goal being perfection in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you think you've offended someone else, if you come to offer a sacrifice, or tonight when we're going to have the Lord's Supper, and you think that maybe someone's unhappy with me, Matthew chapter 5 says, go and make peace with your brother before you offer your offering. Right. If we all did that, if we met each other coming and going, two offended parties meeting each other halfway, Amen. You'd, you'd solve that so fast and it'd be a time of rejoicing right. rather than one of criticism. Amen. And it's all because we're not walking in the Spirit and choosing to make Jerusalem our chief joy Amen. by the Holy Ghost. You say, why do you keep saying that? Because if you try to make Jerusalem your chief joy without the Holy Ghost, you'll fall flat on your face. Been there, done that. Acts chapter 20, don't turn, we don't have, we're, of course we do. Acts chapter 20. For any watching by video, when I came into this pulpit this morning to begin this worship service, I found a basket with everyone's watch. Amen. There's a good 30, 40 watches in this basket with some members saying, go ahead and take as long as you need. That's a lot of trust. I'll try not to violate it. I read in Acts 20 and verse 35 that Jesus said in the last part of the verse, and it'll be in the red writing for some of you, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. If you, under submission to the Holy Spirit, look at this church as a place to go and give, right. what a blessing we're going to have. Right. If you, by the Holy Spirit, look at your marriage as a place to give, what a marriage you're going to have. But if you look at your marriage as a place to get, you are doomed to suffer the pain of unhappiness for the rest of your life. May God be praised. Amen. Because the true blessing in life is giving. Because Jesus Christ gave for us and gave us an example that we should follow in his footsteps and give for others. And if you want to rise and be measured by Jesus Christ, you will be a giver. And you will not be thinking about, what am I getting? I think of the words of one of our presidents. Please forgive me. Ask not what your church can do for you but what you can do for your church. And I corrupted his words. They think it would be so noble to do something for your country. That isn't noble. Every man on earth does that for all their pagan countries. But to do something for the Lord, we are citizens, brethren, of a heavenly country. 
We're strangers and pilgrims down here. We do not fit in with the average American citizen because we are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ask what your church can do for you. You should be asking what you can do for your church because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus did not come into this world to be ministered unto, but to minister. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. If he could humble himself from his position and come down to serve us, can we humble ourselves from our lowly positions and serve one another? Amen. There shouldn't be any clicks. There shouldn't be any clicks in this assembly or this church at all. I've seen that before. And there won't be any, by God's help, because you and I are going to make sure there aren't any. Right? Because 1 Corinthians 12 says that the uncomely members that may not have as many friends are to receive the more abundant honor. There's only one there's only one person that can tell you this message, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit. I'm at a loss to tell you what I just said, except the words. The uncomely members in an assembly are to be given the more abundant honor. That is not how we think. That is not habit. That is not instinctive. But it is if you're walking in the spirit. And that's what we need to do. Do you know what? I believe if Jerusalem should be your chief, chief joy, that your brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ should be closer to you than any relationship you have on earth. Amen. You say blood's thicker than water. <laughs> Whose blood? Amen. <laughs> I say the blood of Jesus Christ is thicker than what you have going through your veins. These, the, your brothers and sisters in this assembly, should be more important to you than any other relationship you have. It should be your chief joy. Do we have hindrances to accomplishing all this? Yes. Listen to this, brethren. The first assembly that was called was Cain and Abel. They came to the right place at the right time to worship the right God. But one of them had hatred in his heart and was a murderer from the beginning because he was walking in the flesh and under the control of the prince of the power of the air. And so he hated his brother Abel because Abel was righteous and he killed him. When the Lord went looking for that assembly and found its one member walking in the flesh and said, where is Abel thy brother? What what was the answer? Am I my brother's keeper? If any of you have those words, even vaguely, even in small print at the bottom of the page coming up in your hearts, you are of Cain. That is not the Spirit of God speaking. That is not a Christian brother. That is not someone that is coming toward being measured by Jesus Christ. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. We are all our brother's keepers. And it's, that it's not an onerous task. Because if you look at the rewards of you getting that in return, and, and the rewards of obeying Jesus of Nazareth and serving others as he served them, you'll want to be your brother's keeper. Amen. Selfishness, though, won't allow you to think about it. And so Paul would utter words like this. 
Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Amen. We should each esteem other better than our own selves. Look not every man on his own things, which we do naturally, but every man also on the things of others, which we can do spiritually. Amen. Being concerned about the things of others. Selfishness won't let you do it, so Paul just condemned your selfishness. Pride won't let you do it. But Paul would say in Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, Get down! Let me finish that expression. My mind just went blank. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Don't be wise in your own conceits. There's pride. Get down. Condescend. That means to get down to men of low estate and serve them. We can be slothful. We can be ignorant. But you can't be ignorant anymore because I just taught you this morning. You can be rebellious now. But we're not going to be in this church. We don't want to hinder this project. Do you want to hinder all of us being ready for the Lord Jesus Christ coming back to where He's a... I want to shake heaven because Jesus will know there is one congregation on earth that has fulfilled His Word by His Spirit and is living that Spirit so that that Spirit is flowing out of their bellies like a river of living water. There is nothing less than that to be accepted. Or we're aiming too low. If you're walking in the flesh, if you're living carnally all week long, worrying about the things of this life, you will miss what I'm saying this morning, and you will miss contributing the compacting of your joint. And we will suffer, but you will suffer, because you will be costing the house of God. You may have habits that are bad. You have formed habits either in ignorance or selfishness, of being antisocial, unsociable, not of being too private, not going after and encouraging one another. We can make all sorts of excuses. Well, I just don't have a personality for that. God didn't ask you to use your personality. He'll give you a personality. Ask Him for it. You can still serve one another. Well, I'm just not used to it. So what? I just don't want to get involved. The Lord's just told you to get involved, and if you'll get involved, you'll be happier for it and better for it. People will think that I'm proud if I try to go and help others. No, they won't. Trust the Lord anyway. Amen. Someone else will do it. Oh, don't they all say that? Someone else will do it. That's what the pastor's for. I just read to you from Ephesians 4 that it's not the pastor only. It's all of us working together. I'm too busy. Yes, you are. You're too busy. So cut some things out of your life. I'm just not the compassionate type. Why don't you just tell us, I'm just not a Christian? Because if you're not the compassionate type, you're not much of a Christian. Because Jesus was compassionate, and we want to be like Him. But no one does such things for me. Too bad. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Why do you want to settle for the second, the lesser blessing? Why don't you settle for the greater blessing and give instead of worrying about what you're getting? Every man must bear his own burden. That's right. After you've borne it with him as long as you could. That's Galatians 6. And if you want to take me on in debate in the first four verses of Galatians chapter 6, I'm ready whenever you are. 
Don't tell me, but every man shall bear his own burden until you've bore some burdens with that man for a good while. Jesus didn't say that. I don't really have anything to offer anyone. Are you a child of God? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Any fruit. You have lots to offer. Amen. You say, I'm one of the uncomely members. Well, aren't you lucky? Right. You're going to get abundant honor if this church does what it's supposed to. Someone will say all sorts of things. I've heard them all, probably. Brethren, we got to shed the false notions of what a church is for and any of these excuses as to why we don't help one another. That's all I wanted to teach you this morning. Jesus Christ, the glorified Son of Man, is in this assembly. He's walking among his candlesticks, and I want him to know that the candlestick in Greenville, South Carolina, is a church that is living with a fire in their bosoms, collectively and as individuals, of the Holy Spirit, wanting to have a church just the way he described. I hope that by his Spirit you've been convicted this morning that we have a job to do. But it's not a heavy burden, and it's not a hard yoke. It's easy and light, and it can be exciting and and a blessing to give. Jesus said it was. You will reap the benefits of it personally and collectively. I want to walk with God. I want to be his favorite. Go ahead and steal my words because that will make me very happy. I want to be his favorite. I want to be a man after God's own heart. But I trust his word completely. And if it says that I do this through the congregation, I do it through the congregation. I have my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and so should you. But we fulfill it and exercise it through Jerusalem, which ought to be our chief joy. And if we were all to do what I have preached this morning, we can shake heaven, and the Lord will pour out a blessing upon us that we will not be able to receive. Most churches are led off down those five paths of a false purpose. The churches that know their purpose don't practice it for the most part. We've been there, done that. We can be better by the grace of God. We can fulfill that calling of perfection, of a body that is filled and functioning as it should efficiently with the head controlling us all and the head being the Lord Jesus Christ and everything I've said by the grace of God and his forgiveness has been to that end. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.